Welcome to another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Matter of fact, it's my anniversary episode. That's right, Kurt. It is your anniversary. Hard to believe. Four years full-time at the mic. Of course, you have certainly been an integral part of Bass Edge for the entire eight years that we've been in existence. But uh, big day here. And, you know, speaking of anniversaries, it's kind of that ongoing mantra that we always hear. Bass Edge Radio brought to you by MegaWare Keelguard. If you do not have this on your boat or watercraft, what are you waiting for? How many more times do we have to indicate it's the best product on the market? Protect your boat from grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps by visiting them at keelguard.com. That's right. Give yourself the edge. Give your boat the edge. But most importantly, another episode of Bass Edge coming right at you. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Good to be here. July 1st, Independence Day, just around the corner, Kurt. Uh, I'm sure you've got your fireworks all purchased and um, ready to launch at one another. I'm sure. <laughs> But uh, hey, there's there's been a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff coming in from the blaster. But one that really caught caught my eye was uh, never go negative. Never yeah, go that, negative. That is a pretty cool deal. First, I want to say that uh, my fireworks are going to be launched at the bass. Just <laughs> catch a few that way. But uh, anyway, yeah, a uh, cool little deal on you know bass blaster. Everybody's getting the the newsletter there from Jay Kumar. If you're not getting the blaster, it's uh, just email BassBlaster at BassGold.com and uh, sign up to get it. You can also see a little page screenshot of it there on the uh, BassEdge.com website that will uh, take you to be able to sign up as well. But um, yeah, Greg Hackney with a cool little tidbit there that Blaster talks about and uh, kind of gives you the link to all the greatest stories. But Greg is talking about not going negative, meaning not going negative against his competitors. You know, he's he's not wishing any bad luck on anybody out there. 
there, whether it's motor issues, lost fish, just any kind of negative feel, man, he just wants to go out there and kick your butt the right way. He just wants to catch more fish than you. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. You know, Greg has been on a super tear. He's rocking it on the AOY standings, you know, leading the Bassmaster again after he won the AOY, you know, just the year before last. So um, it's kind of a feel good little story, you know? I think it comes down to two things. One, we've had obviously a, a, a good friend of the show and contributor, uh, Dr. Jay McNamara, who has the book out, Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, that we came out with. But, you know, he talked a lot about just the use of your mental space and what you choose to put in and, and kind of garbage in, garbage out scenario. But then also, how many times have we spoke about on the show, you know, really the competition is between you and the fish. It's not between you and the other anglers. Yeah, that's 100% true. And Greg indirectly really talks about how to keep that focus positive all the time, whether it's you feel like you're going to catch a fish out of the next flip in that bush or, or the next cast on that deep water point, but just a really feel good deal. And uh, I'll tell you something else that felt cool and, and uh, was a lot of fun is I got to go to uh, Missouri a few weeks back and tape an MLF show that's going to come out in 2017 at Lake of the Ozarks. Got to hang out with my boy Aaron Martin. Dude, <laughs> yes. we had some good buddy love. We're going all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't go too far. We got, we got, <laughs> I don't want to give people the wrong impression, but no, certainly that was fantastic. And, you know, a lot of people I'm sure always ask me, you know, they, they, they think or, or we give the appearance that we're certainly in the same studio when a lot of this goes down, when in reality, just because of you and I's opposing schedule and, and you traveling all over the nation, you know, in the tournaments and, and the various taping obligations that you have, you know, most of this stuff is done digitally. So getting to actually hook up and, and spend some brief amount of time and then certainly uh, got to hang out with several of the other guys that, that was from there and, and just uh, getting some FaceTime, you know? It's hard to beat FaceTime, man. You bet, man. And it was fun to fish Lake the Ozarks, man. I, I'd never been there before. That is a freaking bass factory. Dude, really. that's, that's, that's like my stomping grounds. That's where yeah. I learned how to bass fish. I mean, that it was a lot of fun. Really cool lake and, you know, I, I do have to say, I haven't seen you in a while and, and you had a heck of a tan dude you've been spending some serious time on the water you were telling me a little story about a deal that went down at lake stockton i believe it was yeah Uh, yeah and i want you to tell the listeners that scenario that happened you know just a short snippet so uh i think it's a good lesson learned you know kind of keeping your friends close and uh being careful out there on the water well it was uh certainly a scary deal and and i'm very glad it did not turn out the way that that i thought it was going to but the tan yes it came from spending a week on stockton lake and fishing bluff walls in about 95 degree water with the heat reflecting back on my face but then on the final day of the tournament hey hey that might be a good tip for all the guys out there take the ladies out to the bluff walls get the real bronze thing going yeah yeah (laughs) that might be more of a of a punishment of a a torture because uh i couldn't keep enough water hydration in the boat after that but yeah it really turned into the last day of the tournament uh, we had sunny skies i mean just brutally hot but then a, a massive storm came up and and stockton is one of those lakes that has two major arms kind of like lake fork but in reality the the lake runs from the the south to the north the dams at the north end so anytime and there's not a lot of hills so anytime that you get a south particularly a southwest wind i mean it can go from just 
come to big, big water really quick. And a lot of people drown on this lake each and every year because of, of running small watercraft in that. And this was one of those days that, you know, there was a few of us up the river and uh, a storm came up. It was to the north. I cut it pretty, you know, almost too close, but there was a guy up there that he and I are kind of buddies and he was running a smaller uh, Z19 boat, brand new, really good piece of equipment. But when we made the turn, he asked if he could follow me down into the main lake. Uh, man, we had five to six foot rollers and I'm talking big, big waves, so much so that in my Legend V21, I couldn't really go from into the waves because they would come over the front of the boat. So I had to kind of traverse them, run the troughs. You'd drop down, you couldn't see nothing but water. I kept looking over my shoulder for him. And the next thing I know, I'm a couple miles under the bridge. I turn around and I can't see him. So I panic, I turn, get on the front deck of my boat and I'm trying every time I go up on the top of a wave, trying to see him. I run a little bit, can't find him, just getting pounded by these waves. I grab my cell phone, I, I have no reception. So right, I'm at a, at a decision point there. What do I do? And I've more or less determined to myself, it would be best to get back to uh, tournament headquarters as soon as possible, get the director and try and get the water patrol. So I did this, made the rundown and lo and behold, I'm pulling into the buoys right there in a protected cove and he is going in ahead of me. I'm like, Shane, dude, of course I felt a lot better, but I'm like, what in the world happened? He's like, man, he's like, what in the world were you doing? Did you lose your hat? He's like, I saw you standing on the front of your boat out there. And he's like, I, I thought this idiot lost his hat. I'm like, well, where did you go? I couldn't see yeah. you. <laughs> thought he, that, that idiot thought he lost his buddy. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And of course the water wasn't cold enough. You know, it's 80 some degree water. So I knew that there, there was no way that you could get hypothermia or something. But, um, you know, I'm like, man, I was coming back to call the water patrol. And he's like, no, I went off to your right. And I'm like, well, man, I can't see you when we're dropping down in the wave. So anyway, moral of the story is everything turned out okay. But uh, it does sometimes work when you're in a precarious situation like that to, to travel with people and always have somebody kind of looking out for you. And, and uh, that's just the, the fun and the camaraderie of fishing. You know, even though everybody's competing against one another, there's still kind of that uh, that friendship out there for everybody's well-being. You bet. I think it's always important when you get in that treacherous situation to stick together as y'all did. And um, talking about sticking together a little bit, we got fresh meat on the show. Uh, we're about to start our angler spotlight, looking for some deep summer fishing tactics. We have a first timer on today's Angler Spotlight. This BASS Elite Pro has been turning heads for several years on tour, and we're looking forward to hearing how he has such a huge success with deep water summer tactics. Welcome to Bass Edge, BASS Open Champion David Mullins. Thanks for hanging with hey. us today, David. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's early up here, so it, it might take me a minute to get warmed up. So, but we're waking up and uh, glad to be on here. Well, we're certainly glad to have you, and I can uh, assure you, David, where I'm at, it's far from being warmed up, I can tell you that, but no, I, I know you have a busy schedule, and, and like I said, it's it's great to have you for the first time here on Bass Edge Radio, and, and let's really dive off into your story and your path into the Elite Series, and, and before really even attempting a career at a Bass Pro uh, level of, of the Elites, you turned some heads on the local level and met up with a guy named Aaron Martins that I hear kind of pushed you to pursue professional bass fishing. Can you dive off into that a little bit deeper? Yeah, that's some, that's some deep water there. Uh, let's see, I met Aaron. I might have been in high school, maybe just got out of high school. I can't remember, but they were practicing for the Mega Bucks on Douglas Lake back in the day, and actually Rick Plun ended up winning that thing. And uh, I remember I had an old, uh, like a 1978 
bass tracker. And back in those days, all I did was fish at night. I, I hardly ever fished in the daytime. I remember I'd fish all night long. It started to break daylight, and I put the boat on the trailer, and I, I pulled it halfway up the ramp, and I started to unhook everything. And all of a sudden, I hear this blaring techno music, and I look up, <laughs> and this purple Crown Royal boat and truck is backing down the ramp and stops beside me and, you know, opens the door, and again, you hear all this techno music. I'm like, who the heck is this? And I didn't know Aaron Martins back in those days. And he asked me, he's like, did y'all catch him? Yeah, we caught several, and uh, we ended up shooting the bull there for a minute. He told me he was practicing. I said, well, uh, we caught a bunch of them last night. I said, if you ain't doing nothing that tomorrow, I said, I can, you know, I can show you around. He's like, yeah, that'd be cool, man. Come on. Very inviting. You know, Aaron's always been a very down-to-earth guy, a very real guy. And, uh, we went that next day and caught the heck out of him in the daytime. And then, uh, you know, after that, I, you know, I traveled with him some when he was fishing FLWs and Got to stay at his house at Lay when he finished second in the Classic, and uh, we've just been close friends ever since. And I got into fishing a lot of tournaments at home and had some success. I had a really good partner and a guy named Charlie Rash that was probably the best one to pick up a stick on Douglas and Cherokee Lake, and I fished with him for about eight years and uh, got really dialed in. And one of the best things ever to happen to me was fishing with Charlie. One of the best things that happened to me was uh, when we quit fishing together because he kind of took everything that, that he taught me and then started putting my own blend to it, and that's when everything started clicking. That's when I started doing well. But um, when the uh, Elite Series came back, I think 2011, maybe, I, I, I called Aaron. I was like, listen, come up. I just want a boat on Douglas, you know, and uh, he came up one time in the fall. We caught five. It went close to 30 that day. And <laughs> that's then, a pretty good he, start. <laughs> yeah, and then he came up in uh, the spring and we had like five that went like 26 or 27 you know that one time when he came up in the spring he looked at me like halfway through the day and he's like you know what if you ever wanted to do this he said you could do it and he said i know who to compete against and he said you know you're you're well in the caliber to do it and they released the schedule for the opens and douglas was like the second event so i called him i said hey man you want to travel together just those opens see if i can make it and then he said yeah yeah that'd be cool so he ended up uh traveling together and ended up making it and the first year tried it and, and even in that you know, the Bassmaster that he practiced for, you know, Aaron led that, like, first day, maybe two days, and then the third overall. So, you know, Douglas has always been, you know, it's my home lake. I grew up since I could, you know, walk. I've been fishing that thing, so. It's played an important role for me. It's an awesome story, man. I, I always love hearing how people get into fishing because it's it's always super diverse. There's always other people involved, and um, it's just really cool to hear, you know, the camaraderie and everything else that goes on with bass fishing and, and uh, you know, ultimately a lot of success that goes on with professional angling as well. So uh, it's a lot of fun to hear about how you came to uh, your success today. And let's break down some of that success over the last several years on your home waters in East Tennessee. Obviously, Douglas Lake paid some serious paydays for you. What is it exactly about Douglas that's in your wheelhouse? Because let's talk about Douglas real quick. It's it's not a TVA lake per se. It's it's more of just like a regular man-made lake. There's some current like Rayburn or Toledo or or any of those other huge impoundments like Lake Martin in Alabama or whatever, but it's not a traditional TVA current generation lake. So tell us about what is it that Douglas is in your wheelhouse? Well, it, it is a TVA lake, but it's not a per se a, a Tennessee River lake, if, if that makes more sense right. to everybody. Because, you know, uh, when I got you made Andy Morgan a really good friend, and I remember the first time I went to Chickamauga, which was this might have, this might have been right right after I made the lead. It's kind of during that summertime deal. Andy said, "Come on down, we'll go fishing one day." So I came down, went fishing with Andy, and I remember like I was kind of in shock about how much current gets pulled through, you know, Chickamauga Gunnersville 
uh, people at Kentucky Lake, you know, I wasn't used to that. And, uh, you know, they pull on a light day, maybe pull 30,000, where on Cherokee and Douglas, they might pull 6,000, you know. So the current isn't as a big a deal on our places, which, I mean, it is when they start pulling it, it obviously makes a difference, but we don't have the current that, that sets them up like those other lakes do. But, uh, right. you know, which is, which is really, those, I want to just mention it, it's really cool because that's like most lakes in the country. You know, the TVA is such a little jogger nut in itself. So, so this really discussion is going to relate to a lot more listeners as far as just regular man-made lakes throughout the country. So I think that's why this is such an important interview, and I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Right. And, you know, after I fished, uh, I fished with Andy, and, and especially after I fished tour for like a year. And I've always been a huge structure fishing guy. I love fishing deep. I love fishing offshore. That's pretty much my biggest strength. The only bad thing about fishing the lake series is we don't fish those events very often. We, know, we follow the spot so much. You don't really have a chance to exploit deep water fishing. Uh, maybe once a year on our schedule. But after fishing those, and especially after fishing the tour, uh, you know, for a year, I got to, I just went back home and started fishing. And that, that's when I really realized about how much current plays in our, even though we don't have a lot of it, it still plays because I can look at some of those really, really good spots that I've fished for years and years, and you'd be like, yeah, that's right, dead nuts in the current, you know what I'm saying? So it made me open my eyes. That's the reason I get on that stuff. Now, it seems like on our lakes, they will get on, down current stuff or they will other ones just because current isn't as big an issue on our lake as it is some of them. but uh, it made me open my eyes to that's why they're there so that was a pretty cool deal you know learning that stuff my first year on tour well and talking about you know learning stuff perhaps you can clue us in when you launch your boat and and of course here we are it appears or seems like at least in the part of the country where i'm at that summer has arrived early the mercury has definitely risen <laughs> a lot quicker than than certainly what i'm used to to, but when you first break down a lake in the summertime and, and specifically talking about looking for deeper fish what is kind of that first step or what's that that first thing that goes through your mind david that you're going to be looking for the first thing for me is turning on the graph that's the most important thing you know i stared and i didn't pay when i fished the duck and soap i didn't pay i don't know 15 cast three days i didn't practice full days i practiced about a half a day the first day a little bit more than a half a day the second day went fish cherokee that evening and then come back fish the full day that last day but that just turning on you know turning on the graph and just pretty much going to work and things i look for for you know summertime fishing is just you know your basic stuff i'm going to be looking for especially if i'm fishing tennessee river stuff i'm looking for i'm always in my mind about the way the current's hitting things so you know, I visualize the current coming downstream. You know, just try to hit stuff that's, you know, in that current, whether it be a point, pump, you know, a ledge, a turn, creek channel, a swing, you know, anything that holds them. Now, the depth varies from lake to lake. You know, you go to Douglas, which is a very unique place, and you might catch up, you know, I've caught them up to 50 foot there in the summer, which is very unique for largemouth. But, you know, uh, for the most part, the deepest they get, some of these lakes are, you know, 15 to 20 feet. So that's, you got to take in mind what what's your lake what the lake is and how deep they can go the water color the clearer it is it seems like the deeper they can go shallower you know the better it is not going to go as deep so that's what i do I look for point ups drops you know anything with a little bit of current getting on. now being that you know you were talking a little bit about 
you know, the differences in current, how, you know, some places have massive amounts of currents, whereas Douglas and a lot of other lakes in the country obviously don't have quite as much current. So when you're talking about current related, are you just primarily focused on the main river channel or do you still work in some of the creeks or how do you break down the uh, areas of the lake that you're actually looking and beginning your graphing process? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've got necessarily a, a process of breakdown, but, you know, yeah, absolutely. There's still being creeks, you know, not all of some, you know, a lot of the fish migrate out the main channel, not all of them will, and, you know, some are later than others you know, on, on the spawn, so some of them might just be getting out. A lot of times the creeks are the first place they go, so you always have to take that in mind. So, yeah, you're going to have to check your creeks, and that's the same way. In the creeks, you're fishing, you're checking your main points, your main channel humps in the, in the main channel of that creek, not necessarily the main channel lake, but in that creek, you're still checking the same stuff, but, you know, I'll start toward the back, checking how much depth. If they got reasonably deep water back, I'll start the back, and then I'll work my way to the front, and, you know, if you do that in a creek, and, you know, you're finding, if you fish the whole creek, and you find most of the fish out toward the mouth, you know, most of the time that means, especially on, like, Cherokee and Douglas, they've already gone all the way out. They're not really in the creeks. They've already migrated out to the mouth of the channel, so that pretty much plays anywhere you go, you know. And a creek's a good starting point for no matter if you are structure fishing or you're fishing any time of year. You know, a creek's a good starting point because you can start at the mouth, work your way back, and depending on where you get the bites, kind of kind of dictates how far along the fish you're at. Right, right. That makes good sense. Now, when you're talking about first thing you really started discussing was was graphing. So you know, so you're actually locating the fish with your graphs. Um, let's talk a little bit about depth. Obviously varies, but your down scan, side scan, 2D views. How do you like to set up that graph, and and what's giving you your success when you're you know looking at your electronics? Yeah, I run the ranches, twelves, uh, touch twelves. I ran Usually, I actually put my own board screens, and, and I put sonar down scan on one side, side scan, and, and, and mapping on the other. The only reason I run that four screen is because, you know, when you get on pad or you're running pretty quick, you know, you're losing your down scan and, and side scan. So I, I like to maintain my depth, especially on a place I don't know. So I'll look at that depth a lot. But there, I've really got into using my side scan more this year. And uh, I went with a guy, Ben Parker, and, and Kentucky Lakes, a friend of mine. He's really good with electronics. Texas showed me some stuff on side scan, and it's really played more this year than it ever has so i've been running a lot of three screens so i'll be running a full one side will be side scan and then i break down between down scan and mapping on the other side so that's kind of what i've been doing here lately but uh, that's my setup you know what about on the uh when you say side scan and, and that do you run a a transducer that allows for the view on off your trolling motor as well or is that all coming off you know, are you just using the transducer that's off the back? Yeah, I'm just using one off the stern. I don't, I don't have one hooked up the front. My front graph, I keep it split between graph and sonar 100% of the time. I don't ever look at anything else. So when you're looking at, last question real quick, as far as the grass and, and the approach, you know, obviously at, at some of these lakes without as much current, fish tend to get up off the bottom a whole lot. They do, yeah. When, when you're looking at these fish, is there a particular setup or something that you're focusing on that's saying, okay, these fish are, are ready to bite or, you know, it's not even worth making a cast on this particular school? What are you looking for on your graph once you locate the fish to say, okay, we're in the money? now uh you know i think to know if you're in the money is just the number of fish and, and if there are on the bottom that's that's what i would call the money if you send several that are around the bottom then you're in the money and that, it goes back to that first day that southern open it's like 9 9 30 i guess or 9 15 to pull on place 
didn't pitch any and end up idling inside off a little pre-channel draw. I mean, they were stacked. Uh, even before I turned the motor off, I told my towing, I said, it might go down right here. We caught them every catch about an hour. And wow. that, that was that was the same deal. It was, you know, a lot of fish, a lot of fish on the bottom. You, you could tell they were set up right. And people ask me all the time, hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, the only way is just to know what to look for is to sit there and be behind a graph a lot to truly know what you're looking at. So my advice, if you want to know what they look like, is to get behind a graph and start idling around for a long, long, long time, and you'll eventually get good at it. But Douglas, you know, a lot of them can lift off the bottom. I don't know necessarily most of the time am I looking for, you know, set up a certain way. It's just more or less finding where they're at, you know, marking them and then putting them in their rotation for the day. You know, anymore, I don't, I won't even idle over them in a tournament generally. I just mark where the school was in practice and then I'll end up fishing them, you know, before I leave. If I don't get any bites, I'll check them, mark, you know, uh, idle back over and check them, see if they're there or if they've left. But I don't know if they're on that particular lake, if there's a sad thing I look for. I just gotcha. pretty much just mark where they're at, you know, and go back and fish them. Wow, standing. Hey, look, man, we're, we're going to get a little bit farther into bait techniques and choices, but first got to take a short break. We'll return to Bass Edge Radio in a moment with more from Bassmaster Elite Angler and BASS Open champion David Mullins. If it's hard to stop or you hear squealing and grinding noises during braking, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll find the brake parts you need from trusted brands like BrakeBest, BrakeBest Select, and Wagner ThermoQuiet at everyday low prices. Play it safe with brake parts from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge Radio returns with BASS Elite Angler David Mullins, presented by MegaWare Keel Guard. Hey, David, before we get into more summer deep water bassing, you know, all of us bass anglers, bass heads, are somewhat into not only our boats and our gear, but also really the, the tow vehicles that we pull them with. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I recently saw a video that showed your truck set up for the road, and I can already, already hear you laughing, but can you shed some light on... Uh, how you like to keep your home away from home on wheels? Uh, a lot of duct tape, a lot of glue, you know, <laughs> whatever whatever it takes to put it together. That's what my home looks like. But no, I, 90% of the time I sleep out of the back of my truck. Got a little cot back there. With uh, You know, it's not very comfortable at times because it's some crowded with fishing stuff. That's the way I, 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 I sleep. And, uh, I bought this truck. I always wanted a diesel. A friend of mine worked out with at the gym. Uh, he had a 99 F-250. And the only time he drove it was working back. And uh, I think I bought this thing in 2013. It had like 119000 on it. And uh, that's been my tow vehicle. Uh, it's been an absolutely beast. But as I'm buying this thing, he has an old white truck cap in his yard down there, like just sitting there. And he said, that truck cap kind of goes on that truck you want it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I said, you can keep that. And I got that. I was like, no, I'll take it. So we have a white, I don't even know how old this truck cap is. Everybody makes fun of me for it. But uh, Gerald says it's a 72 on a 99. So that's what we'll go with. <laughs> and <laughs> So I've got an old truck cap on a 99 diesel. And that's, that's my tow people. That's awesome, dude. I think it's really cool to uh, mention some of these things because a lot of people wonder, man, how do you, how do you do this bass fishing thing? You know, you're fishing for a living and and making things work, and and there's other things that we do to to make fishing for a living work for us. But uh, you know, it comes down to one thing, 99% of the time, and that's the desire, will, and passion 
for the sport. So uh, it's awesome to see all the stories about the way that everything goes down. I mean, I used to run around in Suburban. I've done tournaments in the back of my Suburban many times, but uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's always fun to hear about uh, those, those kind of stories. But let's, uh, let's get back into the fishing real quick. <laughs> let's break down uh, the process of actually getting these fish into your boat. What are your, some of your favorite tactics to pluck these deep water bass? Structure fishing is almost like bed fishing. You pretty much have to have an, an array of, of different lures. For me, you know, sometimes to get them to bite. You know, my setups, what I usually use is I'll always have a swim bait tied on. Um, I caught some fish of Douglas on the six-inch Scotts Pearl swim bait. The big Ben Parker spoon's been thrown in my, in my arsenal. Usually something slow like a big worm. Actually, Doomsday just came out with a prototype worm like a seven-inch magnum worm. I've been putting it on a big jig head and dragging it around. And then, of course, the crankbait. That's pretty much about it. If they don't want to eat something slow like a worm, fast like crankbait, you're pretty much not going to get them bite, in my opinion. So uh, that's pretty much my arsenal. I, I, I'm trying to think right now. Again, it's early and it's a little bit slow, but uh, <laughs> I, think, right. I think for the most, most part, that's about that's about what I cycle through. Let me throw this at you real quick. You hear a lot of guys putting, you know, a big worm on on the, you know, kind of wobblehead, jig head type deal. What do you yeah. think is the big difference between the Texas rigged, you know, 10 inch worm versus that jig head or wobblehead type approach? I really don't know. Uh, you know, a lot of times I like a a worm, a bigger worm like with the texture when it, when it gets hotter and things are starting to slow down a little bit. Especially if you got, it's kind of like they're hanging a little bit farther off the bottom where you can stroke that worm pretty good. But it seems like if you know if you're around them in that in those schools, they're not really firing real good. It, some some reason that that worm when you're dragging it on a stand up head gets bites. I don't know the reason. I don't know if it's the way it, the way the tail kicks as you're dragging it. I'm not really sure why they bite it good, but they they certainly do. And I don't know what the difference in the two of them is, but it's a you know you look at it, that's like a do nothing worm, but they bite it really really good. It's like a magnum shaky head, all it is. Well, and one thing you brought up there, David, that I want to dive off into is when you made the comment firing up a school, and you know certainly a lot of us have been the benefactor in seen all of a sudden you know you go from nothing to where it's just lights out like you were talking about you're catching a, a bass for every cast what is the process or is there a process that you take to try to to actually do that to try and take a school that really isn't reacting to getting them to to really light up and and turn into kind of that ideal day or ideal time right there of, of being in front of that school to get them to bite is it bigger baits or certain baits that you feel are superior give us your thoughts on that uh, it's, it goes back to the same thing. you got to have pretty much a, a buffet of lures. There's some schools you can get to ignite, you know, throwing something like a crankbait or a swimbait through it. But then again, there's, there's other times when you go through that school and you're throwing a crankbait and they're not biting and you pick up a worm, you get one to bite, then you go back to crankbait and get them going every cast. So it, it, it just depends. You know, a lot of times it's just how you get them triggered. I don't know if that's necessarily a, a process, but it's just, you know, every school is different and it's just a matter of, once you get a couple of bites, usually all of them bite. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, sometimes what a lot of people don't realize is it's work. <laughs> you you got oh to work at it. You know, you got to throw this three or four times or this once or twice or this three or four times and keep kind of rotating. I think what happens is a lot of people get out there and they get on their electronics and they're like, oh, my gosh, there's what David's talking about. There's that school of fish on on this hump or this point or whatever. And then and then they just, you know, fire something out there 38 times. And they're like, well, I guess they're not biting. But, you know, you really got to work at it, kind of go through a, a little process. Not that there's a, 
maybe a definitive process, but everybody has their their little ways of trying to make it happen. And um, right. it's just daggum work. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. You know, even a drop shot coming more into play now, and I'm still so against throwing the daggum thing because it's just so, like, against everything structure history growing up, you know, you throw big baits, you're moving pretty fast. You know, if you drag it, something's pretty big. And now people are catching really good fish on drop shot just because there's so much pressure anymore on fish. You know, so many people are getting good at offshore fishing. Right. And uh, that's been a, that's been a deal, especially on Douglas. It's, it's pulling out a drop shot and catching them that way too. How about that Nico rig? You've been you've been hurling that out there at all? <laughs> I haven't. I'm not. I'm not played with it yet, but I've heard some people catch them on. But uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely trending. You know more to finesse stuff any more than what it used to be. Kind of crazy, kind of crazy. So let's talk about that. You know, you're trying to work a school of fish. They're they're maybe not working for you. You know, they're, they're they just don't want to bite no matter what you do. You talked a little bit of earlier about putting a an area in rotation. How how important is timing? How do you kind of work that out? Is it just kind of go run your ten areas you thought are really good and and the best ones three times in a day or, or how does that how do you break that down? Uh, rotation is different at home than what it would be per se. It Kentucky Lake or somewhere strong on the Tennessee River, and a lot of that has to do with current. A lot of times at Douglas or Cherokee or, you know, any of those ones up there where I live, once you bust them up and catch them, you're pretty much done with it because the reason is there's not enough current to really make those fish push back on that particular spot you caught them on. So a lot of times once you catch them, they all suspend and they all move off and they'll shift somewhere else. So, you know, rotation is a lot more important that let's say Kentucky Lake and those places because you catch one or catch several and then you know they quit biting because you pulled them off well you can rotate that back in an hour and catch them again just because the current positions them back on that they've got to get back on that get out of the current or get right back on the feed spot so uh you know you need a rotation in it you say you're fishing the Tennessee River you know that's good to have a rotation that's where I really you know I, for a long time, you know, I'm good friends with Randy Haynes, and for a long time I'd hear Randy Haynes talk about rotation. His rotation. I'm like, what the heck is he talking about rotation? Because I'm, you know, my mind, I'm thinking about everything I've grown up with. I'm like, it's crazy about rotation. But then going to Kentucky Lake last year for the first time, it really clicked about what he's talking about. And, you know, once you get those schools done, and I'll tell you a prime example. You know, I pulled up on a place, Kentucky Lake, the second day and caught, I probably caught uh, close to 18 pounds off this place really, really quick. Well, as I'm catching them, Derek Remitz pulls up, and me and Derek are friends. He pulls up and fishes down from me a little bit. And as I'm, you know, back there culling, they said, I'm not going to lie to you, Moses, I caught about 27 pounds here about an hour and a half ago. And that <laughs> just goes to show you, you know, he caught them until they stopped biting. And he was going to hit it in another hour or so. And I just luckily came right in there right before he did. And, you know, I started catching pretty really good. So that, that's a prime example of how you can rotate back in a spot, especially if you've got a place with heavy current like Lucky Lake. You can rotate back in that spot, you know, give it time, an hour and a half, something like that. And usually, you know, those fish will reposition, reload, and you can catch them again. But again, on our lakes with not a lot of current, usually once you bust them up first time, you can go back and catch somebody that's never going to be like, Right. first time you catch them you know you catch one or two or something like that but it's never going to be as good so you're sitting back down in the driver's seat and looking for another school <laughs> exactly That's i got exactly you. Right. i got you well good deal david here we go with our o'reilly auto parts better parts better prices every day listener question segment today's question was sent in from justice out of dayton ohio and justice asks in 
a dirty water lake, where do you tend to look first on ledges? Well, to be honest, I usually do not look on ledges from dirty water. You know, if it's so dirty, a lot of times those fish will, you know, hang on the bank or hang around cover. If they do have some shallow, like if it is going to be a ledge deal, it's going to be really, really shallow. So I'm saying like five foot, probably less. So if it was someplace like that where it's dirty, I would probably find some kind of cover off the bank, you know, and that might be some laydowns or big rock. Because usually when it's muddy, you know how it is, they're going to be related to some kind of cover and they're not going to be very deep. So that's what I would look for, some cover, you know, in that five foot or less range, maybe that sticks off the bank a little bit. And it's probably not going to, you're probably not going to be on a, you know, a main deal, like a main point or something. It could be, but you know, just any type of cover probably is what I would focus on. Well, thanks David for answering that question. And just as two important things, either go on to BassEdge.com and click the claim your prize segment or shoot us an email at support at BassEdge.com and let us know you heard your question answered on the show and we will send out that O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And as always, a reminder to listeners to log on to the Bass Edge Facebook or Twitter page. Leave us those listener questions you'd like to hear on the show. We'll get them answered by the pros and send you a gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Well, David, congratulations again on that open victory last month and we certainly appreciate you being on the show and educating us on uh, some of the uh, electronics and ledge fishing that we've had the opportunity to talk about today. But before we wrap up on the interview, any any closing or, or final words as uh, you get ready to hit the water? Oh, no, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. And as always, if you never need anything, give me a call. David, it's awesome having you on the show. A huge shout out on bringing the goods today. It was great chatting. Look forward to catching up down the road. Bass Edge will return after a quick break. This is FLW Tour Pro Brian Schmidt. You are listening to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. David Mullins bringing the goods. Kurt, again, another strong, just strong interview. I really got a lot, not only from the ledge fishing, but uh, really talking about those Lowrance electronics that so many of us rely on. Yeah. What's really cool, uh, again, what I really enjoyed about that interview, we talked a little bit about current, but this is one of those lakes, and the way David breaks it down is it's a man-made body of water that uh, doesn't have a ton of current. Every water has some current going through it, but um, this really relates to a lot of different uh, bodies of water all over the country. So it was a really cool interview. You know, David, obviously, he, he's not yet a household name. He, he's getting there and he's done a lot of great things. And um, yeah, I really feel like if David sticks with it, he's going to be one of those guys that fishes 15, 20 years on, on the Elite Series and, and really can uh, make some things happen. His knowledge and the way that he was brought up is exceptional to anybody that becomes, qualifies for the Bassmaster Elite Series, fishes the Bassmaster Elite Series. The homework has been 
done. The foundation has been set. You can tell from the stories that he talks about to where he's at now and, and the success. I mean, three open events on his home lick, second, second, and first. I mean, come on. That's crazy. That's just crazy good. And you talk about his practice a little bit. He spends like two and a half days on the lake, and he's like, oh, yeah, there's some, there's some here, some there's some. Okay, we're good to go. And, and he's going to be able to relate that to a lot of different things on, on tour as long as they're fishing some some events that have that style. But he's right now getting better and better at all the other styles that, that are out there. He's just a great dude, man. I really enjoyed the interview. Great talking to him. And, and I hope everybody really enjoyed getting to know David Mullins and took a lot out of today's interview. Well, for sure. And he will definitely be a repeat guest here on Bass Edge because, like you said, he's going to be one of those guys that continues to make ripples and waves in the sport of bass fishing. And, you know, talking about getting better and better, that's certainly something that you have done over your four years of being at the mic and hosting Bass Edge. So it's been fun to sit alongside of you. Happy fourth anniversary, Kurt, and uh, looking forward to many, many more. And, you know, it's hard to believe how many episodes, you know, this is what, 235 of these it things is, now. It's, yeah. it's hit the airwaves. So anyway, it's uh, it's been a joy, my friend. And also, you know, something else that we'll be celebrating this week is going to be the 4th of July, Independence Day. Let's, let's just throw out a reminder that, you know, although the barbecue, beer, and fireworks uh, is a lot of fun, let's not forget, you know, why we are able to be on the airwaves and be out on the water doing the things that we love is because of those that uh, kind of had the vision and, and put in the effort to uh, create our independence. So anyway, happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 4th anniversary to you, Kurt. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. We'll see you next time right here on episode 236. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.